0: As I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Yeah, so I am thrilled that I get to be in dialogue and bring you along into this dialogue with Orange J. Sofer. I've really dug his work for a long time when I first heard of him through Dan Harris um, years ago, and then I'm a big fan of Joseph Goldstein, so knowing that Oren is a student of Joseph's, and then I'm really into NVC, nonviolent communication, and Oren's done this really cool thing. He's been a long-time meditator and meditation teacher, but what I'm always craving is somebody who can speak to how you bring Mindfulness and communication together, because so often mindfulness is a solo practice. And this is what he's done in a beautiful way. And he ain't wimpy when it comes to talking about social justice. And he wrote this piece, which is what had me pick up the phone and want to have a conversation with him. And this is going to be juicy, provocative, grounding, thought stirring. And I hope that you'll go get his book, Say What You Mean A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. Because there's nothing that he's saying that's about waiting to be active, but it is about being skillful and really stoked that we get to be in dialogue with Orange A. Sofer. Orange A. Sofer, what an honor to get to be in some connected dialogue with you here. And I'm so excited that all of our listeners get to meet you because just before you and I hopped on this call, I told our New York City chapter leader, oh, I'm going to speak with Orin later. And she didn't know who you were. And then she went mm. to your Instagram feed. She goes, oh, my God, this mm. guy is great. And I said, oh, I know.
1: <laughs> that's sweet. That's sweet. Thank you.
0: So I'm going to just share with folks that, you know, you have been somebody that has been a master in not only mindfulness, but nonviolent communication. And I want to know a little bit about you and your life and how this all began for you.
1: Mm. Sure. Tracy, I missed a word. There was like a little hiccup in the connection. And so I missed the beginning of your question. Do you want to just repeat it?
0: Yeah. I want to know a little bit about you and your Uh, life. Sure. How this all began for you.
1: Totally. Ah, Well, it all goes back. It all goes back to family, right? So um, I grew up with a mentally ill family member, and uh, that created a lot of emotional stress and um, volatility in my family of origin. And, um, I very quickly took on the role of uh, the normal one in the family, the one who's okay. I hold it all together. You know, I don't need anything. and uh, this is this is common for children because children are very perceptive emotionally. we We pick up on things when we're young very quickly and easily, and learn how to survive and fit within a system. And so uh, I, I learned at a very young age to pretend, to um, to pretend I was okay, to uh, not burden others with my feelings or what what I wanted, what I needed. And you know, we all, I think, learn some version of this in modern society, requires people to disconnect from their humanity in order to be alienated from uh, the fruits of our labor. Right In order to work many hours for someone else and produce something that we don't own, we've got to cut off and, and feel okay about that. <laughs> we've got to cut ourselves off from our heart. And so um public education, media, um, the socialization process, to some degree, for many, if not all of us, disconnects us from our heart, from our how we feel and uh the the deeper longings that we have. So fast forward, um, you know, 10, 20 years, um, things started falling apart in my life in various ways. I was doing a lot of drugs, um, had falling out with friends that was related to that, broke up with my girlfriend at the time, in some ways, very normal stuff for a middle-class white kid growing up in America. Um, And yet, and then my parents got divorced. So everything kind of came crashing down in my world. And that led me to turn to spirituality of circumstances. I found meditation, ended up studying abroad in India as part of my college uh, education. And it changed my life, you know. um, I remember sitting there with the meditation teachers from India and talk about the Buddha's teachings and what he realized about being human and how and why we suffer and um how we can use our human life um uh, to the to maximize our potential and to benefit others and there was this feeling inside of coming home like oh 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 this is why i'm here like this this makes sense to me in a deep and profound way and um you know later looking back realizing that the the deep spirituality that i was longing for so much as a child um wasn't available for me in in the jewish tradition because of the huge loss of um cultural and spiritual capital through the holocaust and the displacement of jews from from europe and so i found some of that um, deep purpose and spirituality in in the buddhist tradition and so over time as i started practicing and meditating there was um, a lot of transformation emotionally, personally, um, some healing. And a few years in, I started realizing that those transformations, the insight, the healing that I was experiencing wasn't translating into my relationships. I mean, it was great when everything was fine, But if I got into an argument with a coworker, I was working at a meditation center at the time as a cook, you know, and we would get into arguments about how to cut the broccoli or, you know, how long to steam the carrots. (laughs) If you've ever worked in a kitchen, you know what I'm talking about. And so, and I realized, okay, if this stuff isn't showing up in my life and my relationships, then something's wrong because that's the point, right? The point isn't just to kind of close my eyes and be able to check out and feel good on my own. That's lovely if you can do that, but who does that actually help, and how does that help us live our life more? So it was about that time that I came across the work of a man named Dr. Marshall Rosenberg, who was the founder of nonviolent communication, uh, which is much more than a communication technique. it's It's really an awareness practice. It's an awareness practice that helps us to transform the way we understand and relate to ourselves, other people, and the world through the lens of language and thought. And in many ways, it helps us to unlearn a lot of the socialization process that I was referring to earlier. So I found in that practice, and maybe this is, I can kind of wrap up the long-winded answer to your question here. I found in that practice a bridge, a bridge between the spiritual practice I was doing, the kind of silent internal meditation practice into my life in a way to express those values and stay deeply connected to them in the face of disagreement hurt anger confusion frustration all of the very normal natural things that come up for us as human beings in relationship and how to how to put in practice through words and listening the the things that are most dear and near to my heart
0: i feel so sweetly connected to you getting mm. to hear your origin really and I, mm. I resonate with so much of your young life story, for sure. I don't mm. know that therapists become therapists if we don't have something in our own pasts. And yet, I also admire so much, Orin. You could have just used spir- spirituality, meditation to bypass right all the discomfort, but that wasn't enough for you.
1: No. Yeah. Well, I thank you, and I, I don't. I think that that's our nature. You know, I think that we are compassionate creatures at heart. Uh, it's, it's We're relational creatures. We depend on each other, right? We, we evolved in small tribes and bands and need cooperation and empathy to survive. And so when we see another in pain, if we ourselves are not consumed by anger, fear, pain, overwhelm, the nap the heart's natural response is to reach out is to say oh my gosh are you okay what can i do so you know i i just looked around and saw how much difficulty and pain there was in the world growing up and and you know this i this is not enough i i need more right in order to feel whole and and i will say also that i i connect some of that as well to the uh, very deep value in the Jewish tradition for social action. It's very deeply embedded in the culture. Um, and so I think that as well was there, just a strong value to use one's life energy to better the conditions of society. There's a, a huge value in the Judeo-Christian tradition, going back to the Hebrew Bible, of you you judge a society based on how it treats its most vulnerable and that uh, it it is how you relate to the stranger uh, that shows your true values. And, you know, those lessons that somewhat tragically and ironically are the foundation of so much of kind of white Christian American society are what we need more than ever today as, as we see the kind of, not just in America, but around the world, this sort of shift to far right wing nationalism xenophobia demonization of immigrants uh blame uh, against those who are different and this kind of radical othering where we lose touch with the humanity of other people yeah and and so you know the 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 potency of of practices like uh, Buddhist meditation, nonviolent communication, and, and so many others that you you explore and treat on this on this podcast um, help us find our way back. How how do we reclaim that connection and see the humanity of others, even when there is uh, a narrative saying otherwise or or emotions that might bring hesitancy? Yeah,
0: gosh, I there are pieces here that are so rich. I just want to highlight a few things. First, Mm. I I have had the opportunity before Marshall passed away to get to train with him. I am not certified in NBC, but being a couples therapist, I certainly admire and draw from, and all my favorite people are NBCers too. So maybe I should get certified (laughs) at some point. But you said something about NBC that made it come alive for me in a way that it hasn't come alive when I've heard anyone else speak about it. You said, it's an awareness practice. Yeah. And that really moved me. I wish Mm -hmm. that more people spoke about it that way. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, I gotta give, yeah, I gotta give credit where credit's due. So that's that idea. And that phrase was uh, from a colleague of mine, Kit Miller. And what, what she said, the actual quote is, um, NVC, nonviolent communication, is an awareness practice masquerading, is an awareness discipline masquerading as a communication practice. Mm. And Marshall was super clear about this. He talked a lot about the deep spiritual foundation of nonviolent communication that it's, he used a theistic uh, framework, which Mm -hmm. is, is not a framework I personally connect with, although I understand it and find it inspiring. He, he spoke about uh, its potential to help us access the divine energy within each of us and to be able to create the quality of connection and understanding we need with other human beings to let that energy flow and to, uh, to have natural compassion, mutual giving from the heart arise.
0: Mm. That's such a beautiful North Star. To sort of think mm. about that's the North Star of north star of NBC because I sometimes feel like in the NBC groups that I'm in right now, we get so caught in the technique of it that we forget the North Star is this yeah. natural unfolding of the heart in the relationship <clears throat> that we're aiming for. So I appreciate yeah. that a lot. Totally. You know, I want to... To dig into the piece I said to you before we went live, I said, gosh, Orin, I read this blog post that you wrote that was really moving to me because it was so filled with humility where you really took up racism in America and in a way that I felt wasn't performative. Mm. It also wasn't tone policing, which I also think I'm guilty of at times. I think some of my colleagues are in the psychotherapy profession. There's either two extremes, the the extremes of us tone policing, because we should all be empathic and nuanced. And so therefore, everyone needs to be nice to each other all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or then there's the other extreme, which is we need to shame every person that isn't as woke as I am. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. somehow you found your way into this place of equanimity, And I just want to just be with you and hear from you on how you are being with the world right now as the realities Mm -hmm. of unresolved, unatoned for injustice in American culture is really in our conscious awareness now. Yeah,
1: yeah. Wow, thank you. That's a powerful question. How am I being with, with I mean, our world. No pr- there's no pressure. No, you get I to know. be
0: human just like me of in course. this. Of course.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's it. I mean, there is a deep well of pain within me um, that's not personal, you know, that feels like touching something that is part of the fabric of the collective conscience. And... Um, I'm not okay. A lot of the time, you know, uh, I feel worried, sometimes frightened. Um, you know, I live here in California where we have some of the worst wildfires in a century raging across the state, vast areas of land. Uh, the air has been, uh, difficult to breathe in certain places, certainly my home for some days. And so, you know this is just one everything's connected right this is this is not separate from the legacy of racism this is about our uh disconnection from reality <laughs> from our from our dependence on the earth and our relationship to nature and the tendency of um patriarchy and um all of the subsequent forms of um, oppression to to dominate and control, and it, it begins with the. I think you know my my view. It begins with the human relationship with nature and our our attempt to control and dominate nature, rather than to um, live in a relationship of humility and stewardship. So, um, you know, for me, my my practice is finding enough uh, nourishment in life through anything and everything moments with my partner, my own meditation practice, gratitude to my teachers, um, the beauty in nature, the simplicity of a cup of Oolong in the morning, you know, finding those moments of nourishment, doing my spiritual practice to stay connected to myself and aware and then, as Thich Nhat Han has said so beautiful many times, not turning away from the suffering, actually turning towards it, and learning to be okay with not being okay. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what equanimity is about. It's not about uh, not feeling, or you know, somehow having this kind of neutral stance towards. Tremendous tragedy and loss and pain and the history of violence in in modern the modern world that continues to this day it's It's actually about being able to open slowly and um, in a in a manageable and regulated way to those experiences without getting flooded so that we can metabolize them. Mm-hmm. And on a personal level as well as on a collective level, I think that's one of the things that our world needs is the willingness to turn towards that, which is eating away at our hearts and, and our society and begin to metabolize it to, to begin to come to terms with it. And so um, on a personal level, you know, that's, that's some of what I'm doing. Um, You know, I think the, why don't I pause there? You can, you can follow up. Yeah.
0: Well, I just, I feel like you just created so much space for the fear and the anger in my own heart, Mm -hmm. right? And what I hear you saying is that the time that you take to generate equanimity inside of yourself so that your activism isn't motivated by a decentering kind of trauma helps in a way, your activism to be more right action, right speech, you know, right, just sort of right movement. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and that the work isn't to, I think I can be guilty of moving too quickly in order to avoid turning towards that which is hurting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to hot potato my feelings, so to speak. Sure. Yeah,
1: right, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so I really wanted yeah. to highlight those few things that you said, because I, you really say no. It's actually your activism is predicated upon cultivating that equanimity,
1: right? Which 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 is predicated upon being willing to be with the discomfort. Beautiful, right? Like that's when we when we talk about if we talk about engaging with racism, unlearning white supremacy, unlearning. Male supremacy, whatever the dynamic of domination and oppression is that we are seeking to transform within ourselves, speak out against, and take action for in society, um, the the movement the movement of a response that is rooted in a different quality of consciousness, a different dynamic relationally comes from in part our ability to be with discomfort, right? If we can't be with our own discomfort, then there is a part of our action and our response that is coming out of reactivity and control. I don't want this, I don't wanna feel this, therefore I have to control what's happening, which tragically and ironically is a recapitulation of the same dynamic of oppression and domination. And we've seen this throughout history. You know, I'm not—I'm not a historian. I'm not a political science. But the little bit that I know, and the friends of mine who are, um, point to many instances in history where revolution—that was inspired by social revolution—that was inspired by beautiful ideals—ends up recreating a domination paradigm because the the means was not aligned with the ends. And this is the Um, this is the ethos and the the way of nonviolence, which is what the the tradition that nonviolent communication comes out of. It's called nonviolent communication because Dr. Rosenberg understood this practice as a key component and a tool for radical social transformation and that if we're unable to Unable to transform the perceptions of enemy images and blame in our own mind, and if we're unable to relate to one another uh, from a, a different place with more empathy and humanity, then we run the risk of recreating some of the same systems and dynamics that we're actually seeking to transform and change. Mm. So equanimity, one of the greatest myths about, and this is a very strange word. If some, if any of you know your, listeners I love it though. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> if any of your listeners have not uh, studied or heard Buddhist teachers before, it's equi- like equanimity. What's what is that? It's a very odd word. It's it means balance. It means Sharon Salzberg, um, the great teacher and friend of mine. She says she says equanimity is balance born of wisdom. So it's a quality of equipoise. And if you think about walking a balance beam or a gyroscope or a tightrope walker, balance is dynamic. It doesn't mean that we are in a fixed and rigid position where nothing affects us. It's actually quite fluid. It means that we are continually getting thrown off balance but instantaneously readjusting. And so to um, we don't arrive at equanimity it's a practice. It's something that we learn to to discover moment by moment by being deeply in touch with life. And part of being deeply in touch with life means opening to discomfort and pain, because that's what it is to be human. It includes that. It's not all, thankfully, but it's part of it.
0: Gosh, if there were a standout phrase that you've said in our conversation that feels like you're wanting to transmit it's that we've got to learn to turn towards that discomfort and pain right. because if right. we don't right. that's when we get rigid and oppressive and recreate these oppressive systems that have not mm-hmm. been great for the environment and for
1: people yeah exactly and and I think if we look at you know you mentioned these polarities these extremes in the um in it sounds like you were talking primarily about like the the left between this kind of being very careful in tone policing and sort of woke shaming. And we could expand that to also then say, you know, the, the, uh, the other end of the extreme where we see um, certainly here in America, I'm not sure what it's like abroad, but um, a kind of the reaction to tone policing and being careful on the, on the right of, you know, you're suppressing free speech and, Uh, this is a culture war and kind of uh, completely discounting the the values and the reality of pain and suffering that those responses come out of. I, I think both, all of those, we can look at any of those behaviors and see an aspect of them that is rooted in a reaction to discomfort.
0: I was just going to say, I just learned something about the response from the right, or as, as my friends call them, mask holes. <laughs> I told you I was irreverent. Um, yeah. That actually that is the same. I just, I'm sorry, I think in images. So I'm thinking of myself on the balance beam. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking of myself saying, you're impeding my freedom by telling right. me to wear a mask. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I just got rigid on the balance beam and I'm going to fall off.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: like mm-hmm. I really get it. I'm like, oh, that is a pain yeah. response. That's exactly. not, it's not about exactly. politics or freedom. That's about pain and discomfort. And we make it about politics and all the other stuff because yeah. we don't want to turn towards the pain. Like you said, is that right? Yeah. And am I getting it right? I just sorry. Yeah. I had a little mini aha. Warren.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the piece that I'm most interested in these days, just in kind of my, my own learning and evolution and growth is that so that perspective that we learn through practices like uh, compassion meditation or nonviolent communication, where we, we train our minds to see the humanity in others, we, we train ourselves to see beyond the surface perceptions and judgments and to actually connect first with what's going on for us. Where is my reaction coming from? What is the deep value that I hold that I feel is being challenged or at risk here? so that I have to defend myself and judge you in order to actually stay connected to and hold on to my value. So that's the first step is connecting with ourselves, being able to identify what's important to me here. It's like, oh, I want everyone to be safe. You know, I, I don't want people to get sick and die unnecessarily from this virus, or I want, you know, my siblings in my community who are black or brown to be able to wake up and not feel afraid that if their children have an encounter with the police, that it might go south. So to identify our own values, but then to be able to see in the other person, okay, this person's response, their behavior, their view, their ideology, what is the deeper human value that they are feeling like they need to defend, that they are connected to? Not to justify behavior or agree with views, but to see beyond that. So. On, that's a very clear practice to me on the personal level, and where I'm pushing my own edges and trying to grow and learn is, how does that translate into social action? Because I don't think we have time, given everything that we're facing politically, economically, environmentally, around the globe, to, for everyone to wake up individually and have personal transformation change our world. It's possible, but there's not enough time. The things, the forces that we're facing are too great. And if we wait for that, I don't think we will survive on multiple levels. And so this is where you know the, the movement for social change um, can be rooted in that sense of deep humanity and nonviolence, but the tactics need to be different. The strategies need to be different. And this is, you know, studying Kingian nonviolence, civil disobedience, looking at policy change. This is this is where kind of larger movements and strategy need to be, and I believe need to be informed by the perspectives of compassion and humanity. Um, but the manifestation of that will look different. Yeah. And I think that this is a, this is a trap. This is a gap that many, um, that I know, I, I was in for a long time, and that that many spiritual practices fall into, which is, okay, if we just change enough hearts and minds, the world will be a better place. And maybe that was true at some point in time when there was more time available in terms of climate change and the survival of democracy in the face of uh, the erosion of democratic values and processes. But I don't think that's the case anymore.
0: Hallelujah! Thank you for saying mm. that. I have been mm. try- I have been wrestling with this one in my mind because I am quite mm, willing to be provocative. Um, mm-hmm. And you're saying, look, we don't have time to teach everyone how to get on that damn balance beam and stand no. in a. In a lucid way it means yeah. that there are going to be some people that are going to be on the balance beam that are going to be out with protesters that are going to be engaging in civil disobedience and then sometimes we're going to be enabling protesters that maybe aren't quite on the balance beam yet but it's it, mm-hmm. i mean i've got a, i've got 11 and 12 year old sons one who loses sleep every night because he says is there going to be an earth oh. when i'm old oh and he gets really angry with me if i buy something wrapped in plastic. He goes, "Why well, are you doing that?" He goes, "This yeah. is my life, man."
1: Yeah. I have chills, Tracy, just hearing that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and it means, you know, um making music and writing and there there's there is um there's a role for each of us in the transformation and it doesn't mean that each of us needs to be out in the streets, right? We we need we need every voice and every response, you know, whether, whether it's phone banking and writing postcards here in the States to turn out the vote um, and get more people registered and in key places or finding your own way of, of expressing and creating the kinds of spaces in society that, that are, Moving towards the vision of the world that we want to live in, and and this is what's so inspiring about your work and the the um, the ethos and the vision behind Sidewalk Talk. Right? Is is can we just sit down and listen to each other? Mm. Right? Can we start to create those connections? There's a beautiful story I heard once about. Um, I don't know if it was one or two people. I think it was one one person who went around the world with a sign. Uh, American, willing to
0: listen. <laughs> maybe I need to do that here in Germany because I've gotten some blowback being American uh-huh. living here. Right, for sure. That's beautiful.
1: Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, if the circumstances of my life were different, and maybe you know, outside of COVID time, I've I've had the <laughs> had the impulse more than once to hit the road with a sign that says, you know, white dude willing to listen. <laughs>
0: That 's beautiful, and you know i 'll be a little political since we 've been political here when Justice Kavanaugh was being uh, appointed, or mm. I guess he was going through his hearings, we had twenty five mm-hmm. white men, actually not all white. We had twenty five men show up to hold space for
1: mm. female
0: assault survivors. To, we mm-hmm. held a listening listening space in Dolores Park in san Francisco, and
1: right so beautiful. it
0: totally resonate with with yeah. all of that. super cool. Yeah. And yeah. you know, just before you and I started talking, you know, we've been thinking about how to maintain this organization as it's gotten so large to be more sustainable, so that there's mm-hmm. less barriers to entry. Because mm. um, at this point, you kind of need money to keep the organization going. And one of the things that you know became clear was, you know, we're confronting our why. Why are we doing this? And I realized mm-hmm. it's because you know, so many listening things are about how can we find our common ground. Mm-hmm. And I said, actually what we're about is how to celebrate the ground that isn't common between mm,
1: us mm-hmm. and
0: not try to move away from that discomfort to build right. bridges too quickly. So right. I, this whole time you've been talking, I'm like, oh, my God, that's what mm. I was just thinking about. So it's great. Yeah. It feels really supportive, and I yeah. appreciate you getting what we do.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I could talk to you for days and days. <laughs> But you have so many beautiful resources that you give away for free on YouTube. You've got so many amazing online workshops. I want to say to folks, please go stalk Oren on his website, (laughs) as I have done, and for sure pick up his book. We'll for sure send, send, Uh send things out to everyone. And and when we send when the podcast goes live, we're going to email it to folks and we'll be sure and have links to your book and to your website and to all of your social feeds. You you. wanted to say the name of the book out loud? Yeah. Yes. Say what
1: what you mean. A mindful approach to nonviolent communication. Yeah. It's a step-by-step guide to transforming your conversations and relationships.
0: I think that as somebody who has had a, version of this book on my kindle now for a year um Mm. and flip through it in certain moments i would also say that every married couple should go get a version of this book and you've got lots of time together during covid so Mm. (laughs) i know that there have been little moments where i'm like oh i should try it out with my husband um we have a a bit of a, a ritual here on how we close our conversation our dialogue I mentioned to you that there are 8,000 listeners across 15 countries around the world, and this is where I'd like to step out of the way and, and invite you to speak directly to them, either a wish or words of wisdom as as we close here together.
1: Sure. Well, my wish for each of you is first and foremost that you see and know deeply your own goodness and beauty. And that you never forget the wholeness of your own heart. That you can experience a deep sense of belonging here on this planet. And that from that knowing of your own goodness, your own profound connection with life, that you allow your heart to express itself, to respond to the pain and the suffering that's around us in whatever way is authentic for you. That's why we're here is is to dance, to be in this dance of life, of sharing the planet and sharing resources, not just with each other, but with all creatures
0: gosh taking that in so much mm. so much Orange J. Sofer may your days be well may the fires recede and mm. um, may your journey on that balance beam continue to be supported
1: thank you thanks Tracy and you and everyone out there take care be, be safe uh, and uh, hope to see you down the line. Yeah,
0: bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to
1: one of connection.